Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another episode of the PodCTL podcast. Tyler, we uh, we were off last week, both of us kind of busy with some stuff, and uh, but good to be back. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Getting uh, you know, starting to get into the fall uh, swing of the concert uh, conference season, so that's starting to pick up uh, as well. But uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, you guys getting leaves changing up in Pennsylvania yet? Yeah, a little bit. It's just uh, starting. Still a little. It got co- it cooled off last week and rained a ton, but now it's. Uh, it's still a little warm, but I think we have some we have some infestation of some bug, oh, a lantern fly or something. It's another one of those that sh- showed up in some shipping container with some stuff from Asia, and you know, no, no, no natural predators, and they're everywhere. Oh, those are fun, especially right. when they last for like three days and they just take over your life. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I got a new puppy, so I don't have much sleep. So I will, I will try my best to get through this one. But uh, yeah, the last couple of days have been interesting. <laughs> new, new, puppies, kind of puppy. new puppy sleep. Uh, the kid's got a, a doodle. So one of these little furry ones. Yeah. Um, so last week, the uh, as 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 they do uh, as like clockwork, the Kubernetes community released a new version. Uh, so version one point twelve is out. So we thought we would talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, the I guess this would be like the thirteenth version of of Kubernetes and. Uh, you know, as as we joke around a lot, you know, lots of fanfare around a new release, and the reality is, you know, new releases generally have you know one GA feature and then a bunch of other stuff. So uh, this one's this one's no different. Yep, yep. I mean, uh, I think the the number of things that that show up, uh, you know, there's usually a good bit of them in different stages. Um, and I think what's I think the good news is a lot of there's not as many like massive like oh by the way we've added this whole ingress thing or we've added this whole you know role you know uh, role based access control there there what seem to be more uh, kind of little smaller tuning type uh, capabilities. Yeah, and the Kubernetes releases don't really have a. I, I, I say it's like they don't really have like a cadence. Like I, I think of in terms of cadences like, you know, people used to get used to sort of the Intel TikTok thing where it was like one release was faster and one release is smaller and one release is faster. The the Kubernetes ones are they're kind of all over the place. I mean, you can you know you can definitely look at the community notes and see what's going on and see what's coming along. But um, you know, Kubernetes is a is a it touches a lot of things. So each release is sort of a little bit. Um, you know, it's a little bit all over the place. So there's not really a Kate. We can't say like, oh, this is the this is the more secure one, or this is the more enterprisey one, or this is the more I don't know portability one. It's just a little bit of everything. Yeah, and I think that goes for tracking individual features too, right? Where you're like, oh, this this started out and it's this is alpha, this is beta, like where it's like, oh, it has to be in this state for this many releases before it can be G. You know, what I mean, there there's some guidelines around that, but it's not like. You know, those types of things we can say like, well, if I see it here, I know it's going to be a GA release, you know, in three releases or something. Right, right. Yeah. And it's and it's not even, you know, it's not a criticism. It's just, again, the the the, the project covers lots of areas and, and there's different inputs. But like you can't say, for example, well, the, the odd releases are more op centric and the even releases are more like dev centric, for example. I mean, it's just sort of. There's stuff that gets in there when it gets stable, and it, and it gets in there. So, well, why don't we why don't we dive into uh, into some of the releases? Why don't we start with the first GA release, the one GA release, which is uh, Kubelet TLS bootstrapping. Um, what uh, what does this do, and, and why is it potentially important? Uh, so, the, yeah, this is a kind of a big security feature uh, from the standpoint of um, you know how the Kubelets talk to the you know to the to the um, you know control plane and and all that stuff. You could configure uh, c- certificates so that's all encrypted 
Uh, but it's still, you know, you figure as your environment grows, if you have hundreds of nodes or thousands of nodes managing all those certificates, and if you have to revoke and replace them, it, it can be pretty, pretty, um, pretty much a pain in the ass. So what, what this was looking to do is make it much easier and then also have it be tied into the cluster operation. So that way, hey, we're joining a, a node to the cluster, the the actual um, cluster operations will, you know, create this can create the certificates and you know apply them to the kubelet and also be able to rotate them and and things like that yep yep um the other thing for anybody listening we're going to go through kind of a number of the features in here we we may miss a few uh, we may not get to all of them and if your favorite one isn't listed or if you're you know you work on that project please don't feel like we're not trying to to include you um, we did include links to both the you know, Kubernetes uh, official announcement. We included links to um, the CoreOS team. The Red Hat CoreOS team went through and did an analysis of it as well. Again, a lot of overlap in that. A uh, bunch of stuff in the in the show notes, bottom line. So if you feel like um, you missed one or one didn't get covered, um, the, the details are in the show notes. And if you have questions, as always, feel free to shoot them over to us. Um, the second one that was on there um, is one that we sort of ought to explain, not so much in technical detail, but just kind of like why this one jumped in there. So um, there's something called uh, Azure Virtual Machine Scale Sets, and then um, what they what's called Cluster Auto Scale. And the reason I bring this one up is like why we should explain it is uh, Kubernetes is tended to be sort of a you know provider infrastructure agnostic type of technology. You know why are we seeing Azure specific stuff in here? Yeah, so the 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 pieces to cluster, cluster auto scaling in general is something that uh, I think a lot of people are interested in. Basically, the idea is I have a kube cluster of X number of nodes, and based on the workloads that my developers or you know my pipelines adding, or even just the load uh, from the from the users, I want to you know I can already do pod auto scaling, but what happens when I run out of nodes? So I actually want to scale the cluster out. Uh, so, so there has to be some awareness of of on the cluster side of those underlying bits to be able to to expand those out. Yeah, and the only other reason I brought this one up is as people start to look at like the the working groups, um, the special interest groups, and so forth in Kubernetes, you'll notice that there's now um, you know specific ones for different. Think of it as sort of different IaaSs. So there is an AWS SIG, there's an Azure SIG, there's a VMware SIG. Um, and, and again, it, it's exactly what Tyler sort of talked about. It's there are some kind of general functions that get added to Kubernetes, but in order for them to work better, um, you, you need to have some awareness of sort of what the underlying IaaS can do. Um, and again, you don't necessarily have to always use them, but you know if you use them specifically in Azure, for example, in this case, um, you're going to get you know less that you have to worry about configuring and maintaining, and, and more that's you know just understands what how the underlying IaaS works because as much as, you know, a, a Google load balancer or a AWS load balancer may all sound like a load balancer. Um, they all do work slightly differently, just like, you know, different vendor products work slightly differently. So, uh, you know, if you see something like this come out, that's kind of why you see a, you know, Hey, why is this vendor specific? It's not that this is Azure Kubernetes. This is like interacting with an Azure service that will make your, your Kubernetes work better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're saying, you know, to scale a cluster, you're adding in the case of if you're running on, you know, public cloud, you're adding VM instances as nodes, uh, you need to know how to ask for those and, and, and understand as that gets scaled out. Yep. Um, 
Third thing we had on the list was, uh, you know, on the network security front. Um, so everything about, about network security tends to be uh, more and more around this idea of network policy. Um, you know, how does ingress traffic work? How does egress traffic work? Um, and this is another one that, that is sort of moving to GA, um, you know, graduating to GA. So both egress network policy and, and IP block network policy um, moving to GA. Um, you know, a lot of these are you know, capabilities that for the network team are going to feel fairly standard for what you have been able to get out of your your classic load balancers, your access lists, and, and other things that you got out of sort of physical network uh, technology, a Juniper, a Cisco, or whatever. Um, this is now sort of embedding that functionality into uh, when, you know, what you can get natively as, a, as an SDN service in, in Kubernetes. Yeah, what's what's interesting about both of these is and you say, well, egress, like, well, the traffic's leaving, uh, is as your as your applications grow, as you do more multi-tenancy and things like that, you you may want, you know, depending on your application, you may need them to respond, no matter wh- which pod it hits, need to respond from a specific endpoint or IP address or on a specific network. So that's where the egress brings you, and then the IP block is just being able to say, you know, as part of a definition to say, not just this, you know, IP, but this range of, you know, this block of IPs, um, you know, this policy applies to. Right, right. Um, next one I had on the list was was sort of around multi-tenancy. And, and multi-tenancy is uh, kind of a funny topic. I know people have different opinions on it. Um, you know, there are, there are some who sort of say multi-tenancy is impossible, so you should just, you know, run a separate cluster for every group or project or whatever, whatever you kind of want to isolate. Um, you know, other folks have kind of tried to dig into it. So people like Jess Frizzell have had kind of long blog posts about, you know, how do you do multi-tenancy and what does that mean at the Linux level and Linux kernel level? Um, OpenShift has had kind of isolation and multi-tenancy for a long time. Um, and some people said, well, you know, is that exactly how Kubernetes would do it and so forth? So I, I feel like this this sort of uh, release or feature around multi-tenancy, I wouldn't call it like everything is multi-tenant, but it's it's a building block towards sort of having native multi-tenancy. And it's called uh, this long squashed together word, uh, resource quota scope selector. It, you know, really kind of getting at this idea of, you know, if I want to have multiple tenants sharing resources, um, you know, how do I figure out, like, should they just be treated equally? Should I give one priority versus another if, you know, demands are such? And, you know, trying to figure out how to be somewhat elastic of sharing resources. Yeah, I think that's the, you know, multi-tenancy, you know, this is a topic we've been talking about in the in the industry for years uh, now. As, and like, how do you define that where it needs to happen? Um, you know, and that's one of those things that varies based on your use cases, right? So you figure someone like uh, SaaS providers are doing multi-tenancy within their software. So they don't need, you know, separate stuff at infrastructure layers because their their software is keeping the data separate. Um, and then obviously there's, you know, I as providers that need to get it down, maybe even all, all the way to the hardware. So I think that it always varies. So you, so to say something is multi-tenant or isn't, it's one, you know, those fabulous, it depends on your use case answers. And I think here what, what it's about is, you know, the pieces, especially with network policy and, and some of the other namespace components of the, you know, the ability to start, the bill has been there to do basic multi-tenancy, but it's been growing in its you know security and things like that. Um, but as you do that, you have to be able to then, you know, if you're if you're sharing resources, you need to to manage you know how they're um, you know consumed and who is priority. So the some of those pieces already exist with resource quotas, but this allowing to also scope it out to make sure it's appropriate between multiple you know, sort of tenants sharing the same uh, cluster. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I think, again, it, it goes back to, like you said, people's definition of multi-tenancy is different. And, you know, just sort of saying multi-tenancy is one thing, enforcing multi-tenancy or figuring out, like, how do I measure compliance or, or whatever, um, you know, always gets into sort of different scenarios. So, um, you know, take this, kind of dig into it if you're interested in in isolation or resource sharing, uh, but just kind of be cognizant that your definition of multi-tenancy or what your requirements are of multi-tenancy might be slightly different than what this is sort of building towards. And it doesn't necessarily mean one is right or one is wrong. It just means that, like like you mentioned, it depends on your use case and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And it could be something as simple as the things you needed that will fit your definition of multi-tenancy existed a year ago in Kubernetes, or it just came out right now, or it won't be ready for another year, right? right. I mean, it's or you may need a third-party component or some other bits to 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 check the boxes you need to be considered you know, that you're comfortable with that level. Yep, yep. Um, so the next one we had on our list was was around storage. Um, so for anybody who's listened to the show before, uh, you know the the newer concept in Kubernetes relates to storage is this concept of what's called a CSI or a container storage um, container storage uh, interface. interface. Correct. Um, and essentially, what that means is, you know, if you've done virtualization in the past, you know, the idea of like how do I virtualize the storage interface so that, uh, you know, we can plug multiple types of storage backends into this thing. Um, And this now, CSI is now supporting kind of the idea of topology awareness. So it's going to allow you to have more granularity of knowing, okay, this CSI plugin is attaching to storage, but like, where is that storage? Uh, You know, for things like latency, for things like you know, rack level or, you know, geography or in the data center. So it just gives you greater awareness of where that is. And that's important, not only from like kind of initial connections. So, you know, things like latency or or whatever, but also if you have failover scenarios, you know, do I want to be attaching to the next thing in the list if the next thing on the list is in a different continent? Yeah. And and I think the the thing here is this is something that's sort of people are doing already with labels and and stuff like that it's sort of a hacky way to say hey when you or storage classes and they'll say like oh this one is this and it lives here so that way people are making those selections but this is making it more you know standardized repeatable way to do it right 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 so you know storage continues to evolve um i know we've had a bunch of requests from people for us to to really dive into storage we we are going to do that we keep saying we're going to do it we will do it um so we've got a couple of things we want to do around sort of stateful and storage and how to how does that get managed so uh stay tuned for that stuff um next one we had on the list was uh the kubectl uh is now going to have this concept of sort of plugins so you know while kubectl kubectl commands can do a lot of powerful things. Um, you know, we also see people that, uh, you know, depending on the context, depending on, you know, whether it's a human entering kubectl commands on the CLI or it's evolving to be something like an operator or, you know, something else, a vendor wants to add some additional functionality for whatever reason. You know, this is another example of like, leave the core project alone, uh, but build a extension or extensibility capability so that if people want to do other stuff, um, they're free to do that without sort of breaking the you know core kubectl capability. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We don't want to see, you know, sort of a, uh, a command be, you know, really forked and, and, you know, messed around with or, you know, kind of what we have to, what you see now with like uh, OpenShift and other, other so do where they include a secondary command, 
um, to do the other stuff that's not part of the core kube. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is a much cleaner way and consistent way. So, hey, I know all the kube CTL commands that I need. Well, this, you know, thing I'm running, you know, whether it's, you know, wherever it's running EKS or, or, or you know, OpenShift or whatever, I can just say, oh, I know I can just run these other commands through this via plugin. Right. Well, and, and we've already seen, um, and again, it's, 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 it's not a fork, but we have seen, you know, different, different implementations of, of the CLI that, um, you know, add stuff that are specific to some implementation. So, you know, OpenShift has had the OC commands, uh, you know, the, the pivotal PKS has PKS commands. Now, uh, I think we've created something called like the EKS CTL or EKS CLI for EKS. So, I mean, we're seeing people say, Hey, look, there are contexts where, you know, additional capability might be useful, but I don't want to break the other thing. So this isn't a a completely new thing. The market was sort of already doing this stuff, and this just provides a more standardized framework around it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the key with with anything like this is standardization. So that way, it's you know, as you have it allows the ecosystem to kind of grow in the direction where people want it to, but at the same time have you know keep that interoperability and, and compatibility. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about just a couple of things that were that were not sort of GA or more in beta or some other stuff that may be of interest to people. Um, you know, one of them was there's there's some improvements that are coming both to horizontal pod autoscalers and what they call vertical pod autoscalers. So, you know, I, I saw some this was one of the features that I saw for some people just following Twitter and others that were like, ooh, this is this is sort of interesting because I, th- this starts to get into characteristics beyond just your basic like CPU usage um, that might help people to do more granular kind of scaling of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think this is, you know, I'm trying to think, I think, you know, the, the other pieces that, that it shows kind of the growth of and maturity kind of where we're getting to where, you know, we're not, we're not solving basic problems here. Right. Uh, they're getting to more advanced problems, more advanced capabilities, sort of the, you know, the, the CSI plugin, I think is a great example too. Um, you know, and some of the things that are being done there where, you know, all you, you know, go back a year ago or a year and a half ago, just being able to say, Hey, we can plug in persistent storage. This is kind of cool and important, uh, you know, from different providers to now saying like, well, how do we, how do we make sure we're, we're labeling them properly? You know, things like snapshots and, and things like that. I think it's really, you know, these are like, Hey, we've been running for a while with these persistent volumes. It'd be really cool if we could do this, right. you know, type of, type of features are coming in. Yeah. And, and I think the vertical one will be interesting to people The the horizontal one really, you know, faster scaling up. There are certain use cases where, you know, really big scale is really important. The vertical one gets to be a little more interesting if you're doing stateful stuff. And, and the analogy is sort of a loose analogy, but like, you know, there was a point when it was like, oh, I can add, I can dynamically add more memory to a machine or I can dynamically add more, you know, NICs to a machine or something that's like, I don't really want that node to go down, but I do want to adjust it in a way um, that, you know, it's just going to fit the, the the needs of this kind of high demand workload. And this is the, the vertical uh, autoscaler is more in that context of like, um, you know, stuff that you're sort of used to conceptually for big workloads, but, it, you know, they were things you didn't really want to necessarily take down, but you did want to tweak it in, in one way, shape or form. So this is something if you're if you're in that space, you know, worth kind of exploring what's going on with that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think those are the you know pieces that get us to the the pers- the yeah I guess if you want to call them uh, you know kind of the pets type you know older applications these are some of the pieces that are needed and I think it's even growing to some of the stuff that you know as this integrates with things like 
um, you know, some of the VM type technologies that are that are making like Kubevert and stuff like that. I think yep. it, I think there's a lot of pieces happening at, at once. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing about Kubernetes releases is is sometimes you know when you were used to you know some other kind of structured software release, sometimes you looked at it and you went, oh, that feature you know specifically solves this problem. I, I think in the Kubernetes case, a lot of times you you have to look at features and you have to go like, okay. That's sort of in this bucket over here that's beginning to piece together, making this set of use cases better, right? So there's not always sort of a one-to-one, like, distinct problem feature that's going to distinctly fix that. It's sort of like, okay, it's in this class of problem, and it's sort of making it better. Um, and, And so sometimes, and again, with it going sort of quickly, sometimes you have to look at stuff in the context of maybe like six months or nine months or a year versus one specific feature. Yeah, and I think I think that's you know definitely really noticeable for people coming from proprietary or closed source software is you know if you're a you know Oracle or whatever like there's no reason for you to release you know in the next version of the Oracle database with oh we added these five features that sort of really don't do anything but they're building towards something else that generally gets held back until it's a it's a complete finished you know feature of the of the software whereas with open source since and people can see what's what's going on. It's it's you're working in smaller increments, and let's get this stuff committed. You don't want to be holding a lot of code out of tree until it finally builds to the magic thing you're trying to build. Right. Uh, you can make those little smaller increments. So a single add, if you're looking through a release notes, you're like, well, I don't I don't see what this really gets me. It's like, well, like you said, it may be setting something up, you know, the for a feature you really want a year from now. Uh, they're doing some of the groundwork. Yep. Yep. Well, listen, I want to I want to I want to kind of end on on one little note. Um, about 112 or just kind of about in general, uh, you know, the excitement around a given release. And, and we, you know, we mentioned early on, um, you know, all, all these releases are, are a huge engineering effort. Um, you know, you're doing this across the community. There's lots of companies involved. There's lots of independent engineers involved, lots of testing involved. So they're all major, you know, uh, engineering feats to get done. Um, but the flip side of that is, you know, I saw a tweet from somebody the other day and they were like, Hey, wait a second. One twelve came out. It's been a couple of days, and you know, there's not very many people that even have like one eleven available, right? And I and I sort of went out and looked at that, and it's like, yeah, that, that's that's kind of true. You know, if you look at if you look at the major, say like software distributions, you know, the OpenShift being one of them, or, or Pivotal PKS, or Docker, or whatever. Like, they've had one eleven, or will have one eleven, like roughly now, um, so three months ish behind. And but even if you look at the major cloud providers, like Azure just got one eleven out the door, um, you know, a, a week or so ago or two weeks ago. But like AWS still isn't running one eleven. Google has one eleven for like super private alpha. You know, won't have it GA for I don't know a couple of weeks. You know, people need to be a little bit uh, conscious, I guess, of you know, being like, okay, this new release is out it has to be available right away, right? There, There is distinctly a, a difference between a cut from the open source community and maybe the thing that you trust to run in production, whether it's in a public cloud or in your own data center or software you run or, or whatever. And it's just, it's the nature of, you know, most people aren't used to this software coming out so quickly, having so many pieces that they have to then reintegrate, retest and so forth. Yeah, and I think that the key with the frequent release cycles is not to be as close to the current release. I think it's more important to be having a cadence, getting your environment used to the cadence of upgrades. So, you know, yes, you don't need to be on 1.12 now that just came out. Even if you're on, you know, 1.10, 
but you know, you're getting ready to do 1.11 now, and then you're getting ready to, you know what I mean? You could be a release or two behind, but as long as you're basically upgrading at a relatively similar pace, I think you're you're exercising those types of, um, you know, pieces with upgrading to make sure that your environment's used to it. The, the worst place to be in is to get, you know, stuck on a release release because you're waiting for a feature or something like that, and you you blink, and now you're, you're running 1.6, and it's ancient, and there's right. no clear upgrade path for you, and, you know, it gets to the point, we, I mean, we see this with other open source projects, but you get a far enough. It doesn't take long to get far enough behind where your best move is to deploy a new cluster and migrate because the upgrade path is is too, you know, too tough because it's too many releases. Yeah, exactly. So that, I, I think that's the thing we've been saying that since the beginning of, of us launching this show is, you know, just focus less on the, you know, individual specific release and more on, you know, are you capable of of managing software updates, um, you know, and that's going to be whether that's at the platform level, you know, you're doing a blue green or in place or, you know, at the application level and you're, you're getting better at, you know, building software, testing it in automation, pushing it into production again through Canary's blue green, you know, in place upgrades and so forth. And that, that I think is the, like we've said for a long time, that's the muscle to, to develop and, and, uh, and exercise and, and less about getting hung up on, you know, a specific release. Cause as we talked about for the last, you know, 25 minutes or so, you know, there's only two or three, you know, sort of GA features in, in what is a very long list of software. But, you know, if your company is like, Hey, we only run GA stuff. Well, you're only getting a couple of releases, but you don't, like you said, you don't want to be three, four five releases behind and then realize like, Oh, okay, what do I do? Um, so, well, very cool. Listen, uh, you know, another quarter pass, another release of Kubernetes came out. Um, you know, congratulations to the community. Congratulations to all the, uh, the, the release team who got this out the door, who probably slept very little the last uh, month or so, you know, getting bugs fixed and, and patches and so forth. So, uh, we will be back doing this again, probably right around uh, Christmas time, December holiday time. And, uh, Folks, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for sending us questions. Thanks for reviewing the show on, on iTunes and Google Play and all the other places you listen to the show. And uh, thanks for telling a friend. So for Tyler and myself, thanks as always for listening this week. Talk to you next week.